talking about compassion, and we've been in, so if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 34, Exodus 34, we've been talking about uh, this passage, and we're going to dive into it uh, a little bit today. And uh, this, this passage in Exodus 34, it's really like God's self-disclosure statement. You know, this would be on his LinkedIn profile or his Instagram profile. Like, okay, you know, we all have things that we think we attribute to God or what God's like. What, what does God say that he is like? And so I think it's very fascinating. So it's, it's Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Um, and I'm just going to read a part, portion of this because we're, we're kind of walk through this the next several weeks, just bit by bit. There's a lot here. And uh, last week, you know, kind of got an intro to, to this passage in this overall um, self-disclosure statement of God. But it says, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the name that God gives himself. And we've kind of lost that in our translations because and originally the writers of the Hebrew Bible, they were like, you can't write the name of God. Like, it's so... It's so powerful, so mighty, we can't even write it. So they substituted it with other words. So for a long time, it just got, you know, written in with other words as a substitute. And so I think we've lost some of that intimacy with God over time by not calling him his name. And Yahweh is basically a play off of, you talk to scholars, but he says, I am who I am. And Yahweh in Hebrew is kind of like he is who he is. So Yahweh, Yahweh, when we say his name, I think it's great. You know, I don't, I don't call my wife, you know, school teacher, you know, Mrs. Kelly. I call her Kelly. Or even more intimately, I call her babe, you know. Or I have these names that we call for our, our spouses and our kids and, and our friends. And I think Yahweh is wanting us to have that kind of relationship with him. Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and grace. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, we're going to stop there today. There's more in this passage, and we'll get to over the coming weeks. But uh, I, want to, I want to start there. And before we get to compassion, I think it's important for us to just sit in this reality that what we think about God is important and who we think God is. There's a theologian, A.W. Tozer, the theologian writer, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. There is mounting neurological evidence that that is true. That if we view God as a fear-mongering uh, person to be avoided, who's disappointed with us, who only wants us to match up to his view of us, and if we don't get it exactly right, then he's going to smite us. Don't you think that has something to say about how you treat people in the world? How you view the world? If you view God as just somebody that doesn't even care about what's going on in my life, like, why would I invite God into my life if I don't even think that he wants to be involved in my life, where if I think of God as loving and merciful and grace, like, that, that makes an impact in how I treat other people. God wants to be involved in my life, then therefore I want to be involved in what he's doing. And this is really important, and this is kind of what the statement has been about, because there are so many people in our culture that I think, including some of us in this room, including myself, we oftentimes have a wrong view of who God is. 
and it translates to how we interact with the world in which we live. And so with this, this series that we're going through, we're trying to get back to who is God and who does he say he is? How does God reveal himself to us? And so we have, uh, we have this word compassion. Are you guys ready to learn some Hebrew? Okay, okay. I was gonna do it whether you, you said yes to that or not, so I already have it planned. But the word compassion in Hebrew is the word rachum. Yeah, come on, let's say it, everybody. Rachum, rachum. If you didn't spit on the person in front of you, you're not doing it right. Rachum. And uh, this word is often translated in, in scripture, in our Bibles, it can be translated as compassion or mercy, or one of my favorite translations actually is deeply moved or deeply stirred. You see, because the, the problem with our understanding of compassion a lot of times is that it's, it's just an emotional word. It's just like empathy or having sympathy for somebody and what they're going through. And our culture has a problem with this. We feel deeply sorry for people, but we disassociate that from action. Where the word rachum is this compassion, this mercy that leads to action. It's being deeply moved to something. And it's interesting because, you, you know, what this is like a baseline for God. So we know as a baseline God is compassionate. And therefore, all of the ways he acts after this, we may have interpretations of whether we think God was good or bad or whether he acted well or not well. But what he's telling us is that at the very first, now when I make a list of grocery items, I put the most important thing at the top, which is like jalapeno peppers for me. So it's like, <laughs> if you forget it, you know, you forget the things on the lower on the list, but do not forget the spice for me. Uh, and, and we do this, we make a list. And so it's interesting, when God is revealing himself, the first thing he says is compassion. And I think that that's the most important thing. So thank you, Matt, for giving me the most important word today to talk about. But it really is because no matter how you view God's working in your life, God's been mean to me, or God's been loving to me, or God has showed up when I wanted him to, or he, he didn't. All of that we can interpret in how we interpret, but we should know that at the beginning, God acted out of his compassion. It's not just about feeling sorry for somebody, unless that drives you to act. So this is interesting. A few chapters earlier in Exodus, um, there's, there's this guy named Moses. Have you heard of Moses, some of you? Moses is up on this mountain, and there's this burning bush. And God shows up to Moses, and, and God says this to Moses, I, Exodus 3, verse 7, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. I've heard their cries. What if God just left it there? Yeah, I've heard their cries of distress, period, you know? I think a lot of us, a lot of our culture, treat compassion this way. Yeah, I've heard that you're in pain. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that your life is a mess right now. 
I'm really empathetic for you. I, I've, I can feel for you. Instead, what God does is he gets involved in the story. From this moment through to where we get to Exodus 34, God is actively working with, Mo- he's like, these are my people. I'm going to help them come out of the awful place that they are in, in Egypt, and get to the promised land. I'm going to help them. And again and again and again, if you read Exodus, I mean, read your stinking Bibles. It's fascinating. They just turn away from God again and again and again and again and again. And even this chapter, Exodus 34, that where God's revealing himself, right before this, Moses goes up on the mountain, I don't know, a day, a couple hours, and the people start freaking out. Like, we don't know where Moses went. Like, you saw him go up the mountain. Instead, what they do is they say, we need a God that's going to be there for us. And so they take all these gold rings and jewelry and things like that, and they make it into a little calf, a golden calf, and they say, this will be our God. Like, hold on a second. (laughs) Hold on a second. I I have showed up to you. I helped you get out of the slavery that you put yourselves in. I've helped you cross the ocean. I split the ocean open so you could walk through it. I have been there. I've given you water, and I've given you food, manna from heaven, all these things. I'm with you. I'm revealing myself through Moses. And they're like, they forgot. (laughs) Hold on a second. And then he shows up after that great failure, and he says, I'm a compassionate God. I'm deeply moved by my people. So compassion, first of all, is about moving beyond just emotions. It's about feeling deeply and allowing those emotions to drive us to act. You with me? We're going to tackle the word compassion from a couple different ways. So, So the first one is rachum, being deeply moved. It's an action word, not just an emotional word. The second one is another Hebrew word, rachim, Go ahead, go ahead, try that one. Oh, man, you guys are not good at that. <laughs> rachem. You can hear rachem, rachem is the same root. And the word rachem is for a mother's womb. And I think that this is fascinating, fascinating because, um, first of all, like I'm, when it comes to compassion, I'm a work in progress, but my wife is compassionate. <laughs> My wife, when she, when the kids wake up in the middle of the night, like they did last night, she actually wakes up, and I'm just, you know, she hears them, she responds. They could be in a different state. They could be across the universe, and my wife would wake up when her kids wake up, you know what I mean? She has this deep bond, this intimacy with our kids that was nursed in the womb, and I think that's just fascinating to me. I mean, you see mothers, what they do for their kids, and fathers too. Like, we learn it, but I'm always going to be nine months behind, you know? <laughs> so wherever I see my, <laughs> my wife now, I say, I'll be there in nine months, you know? <laughs> and so when my kids come to me for a Band-Aid, I say, I'll go see your mom, you know, (laughs) it looks good to me. So it's really fascinating, though, when you think about this word, rachem. There's this cool story, a really interesting story. 
where two moms, it's, a, it's kind of sad, one, one child dies. There's an infant that dies. And these two moms are arguing over whose baby is the one that's remaining. And one mom says, no, it's mine. It's clearly mine. It's my baby. And the other one is saying, no, it's mine. And so they go to King Solomon, and King Solomon is known in, in Scripture as, as a wise one, right? So they go to King Solomon, and he listens to their story. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, I've got it. I can't figure out who the mom is. You know, this is before technology, and, you know, like, let's do a blood test and things like that. So he says, I'm going to chop the baby in half. And we'll give half to this mom and half to that mom. And then it says, says this in 1 Kings 3, 26. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of her love for her son. And she said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. She was deeply moved out of her compassion for her child. She said, I'd rather the child be alive and with that woman than to be cut in half. And then the, the true mother was revealed. And I think we, we, don't, we don't think about it as much as we should, that God created us and he loves us. And he, from the foundations of the earth, had you in mind. And he had me in mind. It says this in Psalm 145. Yahweh is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So God is our mother, <laughs> kind of, which I think says more, less about his gender and more about who he is and how he responds to our cries. He's deeply nurturing. He's bonded to us. He's bonded to you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with me. And then at a particularly dark point in Israel's history. So God, if you know the story, helps the Israelites come out of Egypt. Forty years of wandering and stubbornness, and he sticks with them, compassionate with them. Some of you parents need to hear that, just that today. After all the failures... He just stuck with him, had compassion with him. Forty years, they finally get their act together. They get into the promised land. And then, again, it's just failure after failure. And a couple weeks ago, Don was talking about all these prophets and kings. And it's like, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And it's like, no, they just kind of descended, descended, descended into the point where they were exiled out of the promised land that God had promised to them. By their own choices. And then the prophet Isaiah says this, can a mother forget her nursing baby and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So God's saying, like, the emotional bond, the deep relational bond that a mother has for her child, even if when she's looking into the eyes of her baby that she's cared for, that she's born, even if she could forget, which when we see a mom in that moment, does, do any of us doubt that she could ever forget the child that she has? He said, even if she could, I could not. Whoa. Let that sink in. 
God loves you. And when we cry out to him, we're in pain, we're challenged, we're suffering, he hears our cries. Now, we tend to judge God on how he acts. Instead, I think we should back up a little bit and say, let's judge God on who he is versus what we think are the evidence of how he's acting in our life. We can be sure that he has compassion for us, even when many of us, I believe, would become calloused and cynical and angry. I mean, 40 years, I mean, if somebody kept kind of making bad choices and you've kind of been walking with them for years and years and years and years, we have a tendency to become angry, to doubt that they'll ever change, to become cynical about the world around us, to become filled with angry, angry rants on social media and wherever we, we can't, we, we, yeah, I doubt that God's going to show up in the midst of that. And we begin to lose our faith. But God, it's important for us to get this. God is a compassionate God. He's deeply moved by us, like a mother and her bond. Then we get to English. And in our language, we tend to butcher words quite a bit. (laughs) And uh, I think in our English, Uh, We don't really know what the word compassion means, or if we did know what it meant, we kind of have lost it over time. And it means, the etymology of this in Latin is calm, meaning with or together, and pati, to suffer, which literally means to suffer with, to suffer with. Now, I heard this great story the other day, and I think this captures this really well. There was um, a guy walking, and he fell into a a pit, and it was a slimy pit, and he couldn't get out. And he kept looking up, and he kept seeing people kind of walk by, and they say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're down there. And another person walked by and said, oh, wow, that, that looks terrible. <laughs> that looks awful. I'm praying for you. <laughs> Another person walks by and says, hey, oh, man, I've got a self-help book for you, and tosses it down. I don't need a self-help book. Another person walks by and says, hey, when you get out of that slimy pit, we're having a conference at our house about how to avoid slimy pits. (laughs) And I think you should be there. But let me know when you get out of the slimy pit. And then there's a person that walks by and jumps down, and he gets stuck. And the other guy says, what are you doing? Like, now you're stuck too. And the guy says, yeah, but I've been here before, and I know how to get out. That is compassion. Who had compassion? Not the one that just you know, empty promises, and not that pray, I mean, we should be praying for people. We should be, you know, encouraging one another and giving books. It's not about that, but who actually had compassion? Call it what it is. I am empathetic toward a lot of people. I'm compassionate to very few people. I feel sorry for a lot of people. I actually get involved and act for very few people. That is what compassion 
is. And I love this. Bob Goff has this quote, and, and it's, it sums this up well. God doesn't give us a plan. He gives us a person. And we are called to be that person for others. And God, in his infinite wisdom, said, my people aren't getting it. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm loving. My love abounds to multiple generations. And they, they screw it up, and I'm compassionate. And they screw it up, and I'm compassionate. They aren't getting it. They aren't getting it. So instead of giving us a plan for how to get out of a slimy pit, God gives us himself to descend down into the slimy pit that we have created in our lives and to say, I am here with you and I can help you get out. That is compassion. It's incarnate compassion. He put on flesh and bones and moved into the story to help us get out. And compassion does not require a lot of impressiveness. It doesn't require a lot of money. It requires us to show up and to be present and to be with people. And that's, ironically, the name of Jesus, God with us. So a compassionate God is a God who suffers with us. And that's the top of God's list. It says this in 1 John 4. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our slimy pits. To take away the mess that we've made. And, and Paul says later in Ephesians, you who were once far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. And, and I, I tend to forget, I tend to have a short memory like the Israelites do, just how compassionate God is. And so God has given us a reminder of the cross. When we see the cross, we should be reminded of just what lengths God was willing to go to save us, to save you. That he suffered death on a cross for you and for me. And so today, as the band plays, I, I have a couple more thoughts. So after this song, we're going to come and just look at one more thing of compassion, just a few minutes. But I thought this would be a good time to pause and just reflect on the love and compassion that God has for you. And so maybe you need to take some communion and just be reminded of the blood and the body that Jesus gave up for us. You just need to sit and reflect about how much God loves you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your compassion to be with us in the midst of whatever we're going through, God. You know we're all going through stuff right now. And your grace and your love and your witness is what we need in your name. Go ahead and sit down in just a moment more because I think we could leave it there. 
I think we could leave it right there and just embrace the compassion of God. But then uh, the Apostle Paul says this. God is our compassionate father and source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, the reason God makes it so important that we understand his compassion is not just for the intimacy, although that's part of it. That's a big part of it. But it's so that we can actually comfort the people around us. And that's the hard part. That's the hard thing. Because (laughs) the more time we spend really seeing people and getting to know their stories, our hearts will become compassionate toward them. But sometimes the more time we spend seeing people and the more compassionate we are, or the more we get to know their stories, the more we kind of want to distance ourselves, right? It's like, that's a lot to go through. And, and God shows up in the midst of our slimy pit so that we can actually, we don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the slimy pit and help you out because I was just there and I just got out of it. And now you're going to call me back into the slimy pit? It's like, yes, that's exactly why I sent my son. That's exactly why I got involved in the story even more than I was. And, and I think that this, this is really important for us to begin to recognize that the people around us, they have slimy pits too. The person sitting next to you, they have their stuff too. And it may not be your job to go to that person sitting next to you, but it is our job to find the people around us that need our help. And, and some of you are, are very good at this. Uh, we have so many ministries and pe- people in our church that are, are good at this. Um, there's, there's a group of ladies that have started making prayer shawls. And, and I love it. And they, it, every time there's a need in our church, or somebody's in the hospital or going through things. Somebody just this week, I was able to hand a prayer shawl to let, remind them that people were praying for you even before they knew what you were going through. And they are with you now. And they're covering you with their prayers. And we are covering you with our prayers. There's a group of, of women in our church that make meals for people. And they show up at your doorstep with a fresh home-cooked meal and say, I, I wish I could be in there with you, but just take this meal and just know that we love you and we care about you. One of those people went to the point of, there, she said, I'll, I'll actually cook a meal for the entire group of kind of retired community in our church, and I'm good at cooking Mexican food, so I'll just show up and I'll cook food because I have extra time, and I just know that, like, that's a gift I can give. Um, have you met John Kane? Have you met Katie Brethauer? John and Jenny Kane and Katie and Mike Brethauer are giving so much sweat and time and energy to making track camp happen at the end of the summer. So many people are, are giving um, resources and time to go be with our middle school kids and our high school kids at camp. There's so many ways that we can get involved in the things that are happening here. But it requires us to get in proximity so if you feel like, man, I, I, want, I want to be compassionate toward foster youth, 
You can't do that from a distance. You have to get involved in track camp. You have to get involved in helping. If, you, if you're like, I, I want to have compassion for the poor and the hungry, you have to get to know their stories. Otherwise, you're just feeling sorry for them. You're just having empathy. To have compassion is to get involved. It's a relational word. It requires a relationship. I can't just sit here and have compassion. It actually requires two people. I have to have a relationship. And so for you, you know, I don't know what that is. But I think it's worthwhile for us to ask that question. How is God calling me to get involved? I came across this quote, which I think captures this really, really well. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You see, what God was willing to do in his compassion was to send Christ. What Christ was willing to do in his compassion was to go to the cross. What are we willing to do because of our compassion? Where are we willing to become the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world that desperately needs to experience the compassion of God and needs to see that this God is not an angry mean God, but a God that loves us, wants to get involved in our story, like an intimacy, like a mother. He loves you. He cares about you. And I'm going to show you by showing up again and again and again how much I want to have compassion for you. So as we close, um, three, three statements, summary statements, and then we'll let you go. And the first one is this. Just kind of, we talked about a lot this morning. So here's the first one. God was, is, and always will be compassionate toward you. There's nothing you can do that would drive him away. He will always be compassionate towards you. He loves you, he created you, and he wants to be with you. Which leads to the second statement. True compassion, true love, requires us to move beyond just the emotions. It requires us to act and to become the hands and feet of Jesus. And this last one is the challenge that we're going to leave you with today. Look for one person that needs compassion and become their friend. And to show up with a text, with a coffee, with a dinner invite, taking care of their dog, with a warm meal, taking their groceries to them, uh, showing up. When we had uh, a terrible thing happen in our house, we had people show up and actually took our dishes home and washed them for us. They just showed up. They were just present. And it didn't require a lot of money or time or effort, but it made a huge impact on us to where when other people are going through that, now we're like, let's take your dishes. We'll wash them. 
and we'll bring them back to you clean and perfect, and you can put them in your cabinets. It's practical, intentional acts of love and compassion toward the people around us. That's what requires us to show up again and again and again and again. And it requires us to just one. If all of us chose one person, became their friend, watch what God could do. Watch what God could do. And I'm so excited to see in this year how our compassion could be lived out. So as you go today, we'll, we'll wrap up with this prayer. Um, may you be, re- be reminded of how much God loves you and how much God has called you to be the hands and feet of him. Father, thank you. May we go with a lightness in our steps, remembering that you care so deeply for us and you love us. And may we become the hands and feet of your son Jesus everywhere we go. Put one person on our heart, God, that we can write down this week to show up again and again and again. We love you, God, and we thank you for your love. Amen. Amen. See you next week for Father's Day.